Insightful podcasts by informative hosts. Insights into things. A podcast network. Welcome to Insights into Tomorrow, where we take a deeper look into how the issues of today will impact the world of tomorrow, from politics and world news to media and technology. We discuss how today's headlines are becoming tomorrow's reality. Welcome to Insights into Tomorrow. This is episode 18, Artificial Intelligence. I'm your host, Joseph Whalen, and my co-host, Sam Whalen. Hey, everybody. You believe we've done 18 of these? 18. Wow. <laughs> We're on a roll. Wow. We'll get to 100 in no time. <laughs> yeah, we kind of have fallen off of our cadence of uh, monthly podcasts on this, haven't we? There's just nothing to talk about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you steer away from all the controversial topics. Exactly. <laughs> so this week we're we're going to talk about a nice safe topic, and that is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. No, no dire implications with that. <laughs> <laughs> so you you know how this one's going to end. Uh -huh. up. <laughs> <laughs> so is the future of AI more like HAL nine thousand, Skynet, and the Matrix, or is it more like Wally, Star Trek's Commander Data, or C three PO from Star Wars? Some of the world's most brilliant minds, like Michio Kaku and Stephen Hawking, recognize the tremendous potential for artificial intelligence, but also offer words of caution at its development. Is artificial intelligence the next step in our evolution, or the first step in our ultimate destruction? How will AI impact humans? How will AI impact what humans create? And could humans be entirely removed from the creative process? That's what we'll be discussing on today's episode of Insights into Tomorrow. But before we do that, I'd like to take a moment to invite our listening and viewing audience to subscribe to the podcast. You can find audio versions of this podcast listed as Insights into Tomorrow. You can find both audio and video versions of all the network's podcasts listed as Insights into Things. And we can be found anywhere you get a podcast these days, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. I would also encourage you to write in, give us your feedback, tell us how we're doing, give us suggestions on what you'd like us to talk about. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. You can find us on Twitter at insights underscore things. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash insightsintothingspodcast. Are we ready? Yep, let's get into it. Let's go. So what is artificial intelligence? <clears throat> so John McCarthy, head of computer science department at Stanford University in 2007, defined artificial intelligence as the science and engineering of making intelligent machines, especially intelligent computer programs. It's related to the similar task of using computers to understand human intelligence but AI does not have to confine itself to methods that are biologically observable. Like a brain. Exactly. 
Um, and this is kind of a different approach to artificial intelligence than what has traditionally been the measure of artificial intelligence. And that was really something called the Turing test that was created by Alan Turing back in the 1950s. So the Turing test basically said if, if it's observable and convincing enough to be a human, the, the test basically was two people having a conversation, a third party watching that conversation, and if the third party watching that conversation, it's all text-based, can't distinguish the AI for the human, then it's passed the Turing test. So kind of a, kind of a loose definition of what AI was back at the, at the time. So it was basically how well it could emulate a human being. But I think AI has changed significantly in that time, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have to you know, change what we define it as as well. It's not just it's not just text based. It can do way more than that now. It's expanded, you know, pretty exponentially since then. So, what is a modern take on on artificial intelligence? So, we have some information here from Stuart Russell, professor of computer science at the University of California, Berkeley, and Peter Norvig. Uh, I apologize, Peter, if I mispronounce your name. There, he's the director of research for Google, uh, published "Artificial Intelligence: A Modern Approach." Uh, it became one of the leading textbooks, I believe this is Norvig's book, in the study of AI. In it, they delve into four potential goals or definitions of AI, which differentiates computer systems on the basis of, ration <coughs> forgive me, of rationality and thinking versus acting. So we have the human approach, systems that think like humans, uh, systems that act like humans as well, and the ideal approach, systems that think rationally and then systems that act rationally. Uh, Turing's definition would have fallen under the category of systems that act like humans. And there's a little bit more here that I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> I didn't realize that was part of it. Uh, at its simplest form, artificial intelligence is a field which combines computer science and robust data sets to enable problem solving. Basically, we're making these things as a sort of extra brain to help us out. It also encompasses subfields of machine learning and deep learning, which are frequently mentioned in conjunction with artificial intelligence. These disciplines are comprised of AI algorithms, which seek to create expert systems which make predictions or classifications based on that input data. So AI right now, some of the some of the biggest things in AI right now probably are algorithms. You know, you have the the famed Google algorithm for searches, and you know they apply it to YouTube. And is that really is the algorithm itself that? basically looks at usage patterns and what you're doing online and then determines what else you would like. Is that considered a form of artificial intelligence? I think it would be. I mean, it's it's interpreting data and then, I guess, projecting and it's making its own conclusions based on that data and then sort of showing you that conclusion, right? So if you click on something on Instagram and you read the page long enough and you go back to Instagram, it'll have more things like that or it happens to me all the time because every device is listening to you all the time you say you mention a product and then five seconds later an ad for it pops up on your instagram or you text somebody about it in the same thing so uh it's definitely always watching and always learning <laughs> yeah no and i agree and i think <clears throat> we've run into that in the house here because i've got a whole boatload of amazon a products i don't want to say the name because i don't want to <laughs> actually activating um but that's the same sort of thing. That and Siri and uh, what's the Android version of, of voice? Bixby? Assist? Bixby, is that it? So all of these are, these assistants are some type of artificial intelligence as well. But how intelligent are they really? 
Not very. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of like the, none of them are thinking on their own. They all require some level of input. Mm. They all require some source of data that they go out and, and get. Like if you ask uh, the Amazon devices for uh, information on something, they'll come back and tell you uh, a, a Google contributor added this. So it, they don't even seem to compile their own set of knowledge. Mm. Uh, so it's almost like the it's more of an interface to the web than it is really an artificial intelligence. It might be an intelligent way to interface with it, but we're not talking HAL 9000. Right, it's not learning and adapting necessarily. Right, and it can't take its own actions or anything like that. You know, when we get into stuff like that, we might be looking at something like a Tesla or a self-driving car where it takes input from outside sensors and has the ability to make decisions on its own at that point in time. Right. That's where we tend to get a little bit more down the rabbit hole of how dangerous things could be. Yeah, once you start getting into the territory, we transition out of this into our next segment of, of more developed intelligence of where that could possibly go once something starts thinking for itself. Right. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll dig a little bit deeper into the types of artificial intelligence that are out there. We'll be right back. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Civ Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Starforge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. Welcome back to Insights Into Tomorrow. We are talking artificial intelligence today. So there's, and I don't want to go through every every line that we have here and just kind of throw a few things out there. So the types of artificial intelligence that we're really kind of referring to here can be broken into two categories. One's capabilities and the other's functionalities. So under your capabilities, you've got narrow AI. And an example of narrow AI is sort of like what we talked about with Siri, where you know, it's it's also referred to as weak AI. It focuses on a narrow task. Um, you could even classify IBM's Watson that was used for chess playing in something like this as well. It's it's not robust. It's not thinking on its own. Um, you then get into your general AIs, and, and your general AIs tend to be a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, these are your strong AIs. You can understand and learn intellectual tasks that humans can do. So you're getting a little bit smarter with these. But the requirements from a hardware standpoint, you need a, a supercomputer. You know, the couple that are, that are listed here are two of the fastest supercomputers in the world in order to accomplish this. 
Yeah, and do we know what these we have the Fujitsu K? Do you know what those are used for? Like what kind what type of computing we're using these like intense supercomputers for? Most of these are being used for simulating weather, okay. simulating uh nuclear explosions without actually having to fire them also. <laughs> That's helpful. They're highly uh complicated and powerful devices just to get this next level of AI. Mm -hmm. And then the last level of AI from a capability standpoint is what's referred to as super AI. This is where AI, you know, this is your Skynet. This is where it surpasses human intelligence. None exist at this point in time, thankfully. But is this the direction that we're going as we're seeing this natural progression? Are we going to see super AIs? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if I want that. And then you get into like the Blade Runner discussion right. of like what is... What makes something human? What when you give something a uh, a will of its own? Like what we're getting into like deep sci-fi territory here, but I don't know if we would ever get to that point. If you know, what would we need something like that for? Uh, I mean, maybe to like run a city, like uh, like um, monitor trains and and public works and stuff like that on like a a city level. I don't know. I don't know what we ever need something that smart for, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can certainly see from a <clears throat> an infrastructure standpoint, you know, most of what we do now, you know, you've got positive train controls, a great example you just mentioned with trains, where if the human operator fails to, to make certain checks, the computer can kick in and run things safely mm -hmm. or shut the system down safely. So there's lesser versions of that now, but I think seeing something like that on a grand scale might be something where a super AI would work. What about functionality-based AIs? Tell us about that. So we've got the reactive machine. Uh, reactive machine is the primary form of AI that does not store memories or use past experiences to determine future actions. It only works in the present. Uh, so an example of this would be IBM's Deep Blue chess playing computer. Uh, that thing's really cool, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some videos of that. It's really neat. Gary Kasparov would, would differ. <laughs> uh, we've also got limited memory AI, which trains from the past to make decisions. Um, they do have a memory, but it's very short-lived. Uh, and an example of this would be used in self-driving vehicles, like we mentioned, Teslas, things like that. And then finally, we have theory of the mind. On this show, we like to say theater of the mind. It's kind of <laughs> like that. Uh, theory of the mind AI represents an advanced class of technology and exists only as a concept. Uh, they would require a thorough understanding of the people and the things within the environment, including understanding feelings and behaviors. Uh, there's no examples because they don't exist, um, but you know, attempts at mimicking human emotion and automatons is as close as we can get. One of the things regarding that is that people are trying to experiment with this, and <clears throat> and they're doing it through this the same type of training that they're using for chat GPT and, and the other AI engines that are out there. We'll talk more about those in a little bit. But what they're doing is they're taking, they're having human beings emulate emotions, facial expressions of emotions, sadness, happiness, that type of thing. And they're having multiple iterations of people doing these. They're sticking them in a database, and then they're having a computer look at these and interpret them. So just by facial expressions, they're trying to get computers to understand emotions. How effective do you think that would be? How effective would it be for you to have no other communication method whatsoever but just be able to see someone's face, do you think you would be, that they would be able to convey emotions accurately enough? I don't know. It would depend on how they're measuring it, right? Like if you're looking at like 
specific muscle movements for like a frown versus a smile. Um, but everybody expresses emotion in different ways. So you'd have to have some kind of baseline to do that. Um, and I forget the name, but we learned it in college. But it's that thing where you show us an image of a guy's face and it's that effect where you can interpret it however you want. Like it's the same face over and over again. But if you interpret it as in he's happy, you can kind of see it. Or he's sad, you can kind of see it. And so I wonder where you get into something like that where it's like um, it's sort of a gray area of, well, is this person really happy? You know, that's when you have to go back to the baseline of if we're measuring facial tics or, or right. a certain, I don't know, uh, visual ratios on your face. Yeah, and I agree. And then, like, I, I don't know if I, as a, as a person, who doesn't need artificial intelligence would be able to accurately understand emotions. Right, right. And then I look at the technology that we've had with facial recognition already and some of the challenges we've had where you had, uh, for instance, Microsoft's uh, camera technology that they had on their Xbox series. When that came out not that many years ago, they only used Caucasian people to mm. train it. And as people with darker skin, Asians, uh, African-Americans, and so forth, started using it, it, the technology didn't hold up. Right. And right. it was because of the way that the technology itself was developed and trained. and and The foundation of it. Exactly. So it's like, if you can't get that right, then I have a very difficult time thinking you're going to get emotions. Yeah, that's the thing, right? You get into like user error at that point. If you're if you're trying to emulate human behavior, but you don't account for the whole world, how are we going to apply this in right. any practical sense? Right, and that's why you'd almost have to think you need multiple forms of input: voice inflection, body mm -hmm. movement. You know, the 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 micro ticks that people have. You'd ha I I could certainly see you coming up with enough data points that you could infer what emotions are, but you need to have those data points there, and it has to be more sensors than just trying to read someone's face. Yeah, and do we need this? Why would we need this? <laughs> right, right, and that's another point. You know, one of, the, one of the implementations that people have talked about with this is customer service. Mm. You know, they had the one hotel in, in Tokyo that didn't last very long, that the front desk was entirely run by automaton. I'm sure that was a blast. And it was because they didn't want, they thought the automatons would interact better with people than people would, which I'm not really sure why you would think that. <laughs> but the problem you run into is you, you get into that uncanny valley mm -hmm. scenario where people are just creeped out by it. It looks enough like a human to, to make you think it is, but not enough to, to know it is. So it made people feel very uncomfortable. But I could see in a, in a situation like that where you're implementing emotional stuff, a detection, where you want to know if someone's angry. You know, do I really need to get a manager? Mm. Are you happy? Like stuff like that where you're interacting with people. I could see that. Um, it, it's funny that, that they're exploring that path now when you have grocery stores that are doing away with their self-checkout because people dislike ha not having a human to deal with at a register now. So it's like, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, if it's a regional thing or what, but it seems people are kind of finicky. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and also it's like, is it is it cost effective to build a robot <laughs> to talk to people than to just hire someone for minimum wage to work at the front desk? 
Right. That's that's a <laughs> and very I, good I know point. The, the argument is that, well, the robot could do it for forever, whereas we have to worry about this person, you know, their their livelihood and, you know, they need to go to the bathroom, take a break, things like that. Robots don't have to do that. But it's like, I mean, come on. Like you don't you don't have to contribute to four hundred one k with robots either. Exactly. Yeah, you just got to swap out a few parts every once in a while. Right. So I don't know. I, and the practicality is where I get hung up on of of how are we really going to use these things and are they going to be worth the effort and time we're doing putting in to try to figure it out. I agree, and I, and I think it's almost like it's a a fun school project people are working. Yeah. On. <laughs> um, but you know the golden ring or the you know the prize of artificial intelligence at least as far as sci-fi tells us, is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness is where the AI, you know, this they only exist hypothetically right now and only in science fiction for the most part. <laughs> yeah. But these are the types of, of systems that can understand internal traits and states and conditions and perceive, actual perceived human emotions. Uh, and these machines are smarter than the human mind, which is really what's what's terrifying, I think, to a lot of people. Um, they'll be able to understand and evoke emotions in those it interacts with. But it'll also have its own emotions, its needs, its beliefs. You know, this is where we get into things like a HAL 9000 from 2001 or Skynet or something like that. Is, I don't know if anyone's shooting for self-awareness is self-awareness possible with today's technology i was actually just thinking about that because like you have in here about it it would having its own emotions and needs and i think it would be more terrifying if it didn't have emotions if it was purely logical right because you know you make a ai and it instantly determines that humans are bad for the planet and decides to wipe us out (laughs) right because like i mean we could make that conclusion but we're also you know we are humans. We're not going to wipe ourselves out, you know, intentionally. <laughs> um, so it's like, I don't know if we would want, if we would get to the point where that's possible. I don't know. I obviously don't know anything about programming, but how how would we program emotion? I guess, you know, you're seeing the baby steps with this facial recognition software. But at what point are we able to program emotions? Is it something like uh, using a human brain as the blueprint? I have no idea where this would go, but... It sounds like fantasy, um, but one that is close enough to reality that, you know, maybe, but I, don't, I just don't know how they would do it. And you make a very valid point there. I think humans in general have a very difficult time dealing with emotions, recognizing emotions, and coping with them already. I don't know how you would possibly translate that into software no i think it would have to be you can't i mean it's all math based right so you can't that's the whole point of emotion you can't quantify it right right unless you measure like heart rate i guess if you're angry or or sweating or you know biological reactions but when it gets to the thinking about interpreting emotions i just think it's too nebulous and if we did have a self-aware ai it would have to be you know maybe based off of personality or it would just be purely logical so then we're, lo- we're talking something more along the lines of uh, RoboCop, you know, where we take the ex-con and we stick his brain into the robot there, and that's the artificial intelligence. Yeah, I was thinking that, or in, in Halo, if you guys are familiar with that, they use a human brain to then make an AI. Right. So the AI, the AI is like part human, kind of. Um, something like that. But I don't think we can do that yet, and I don't know how we would. And, and, and you know what, I think that's, Probably the biggest limiting factor right now, I think, is our computing power. Yep. 
you know, in order to produce the amount of computational power that the human brain has, you need the fastest supercomputer right now to even approach it. And I think until we get to, you know, real practical quantum computing, I don't think we have much of a hope of even reproducing it. People, people I think, don't understand how remarkably capable the human brain is. A lot going on. Yeah, how fast it operates, how many different things it can do at one time. And computers just haven't gotten to that point yet. Yes, they, computers are very good at doing the same thing over and over again. And they're very good at doing math. But they're only that good because humans make them mm -hmm. that good. Yeah, and it's, it's when you get that line of where the what we're creating is superseding us that it's like, okay, well, maybe we've gone a little bit too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a good good point. We can take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about is artificial intelligence dangerous in its current form and future forms. We'll be right back. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Sith Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Star Forge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. Elon Musk's Elon Musk, not Musk's. Elon Musk wrote the pace of progress in artificial intelligence. He says, I'm not referring to narrow AI is incredibly fast. Unless you have direct exposure to groups like DeepMind, you have no idea how fast it's growing at a pace close to exponential. The risk of something seriously dangerous happening is in the uh, in the next five year time frame. 10 years at most. What was this quote from? So this was from Elon Musk. I didn't, I didn't okay. see where the quote. I just wanted to see if we were still in the window or not. I, I didn't get a date on the on that, but I have to imagine we're, we're pretty close to that window. <laughs> Any day now, the robot uprising is going to happen. Well, the fact that he made cars that are self-driving and running people over and yeah, killing right. them tells me right now that AI actually <laughs> physically is dangerous. He can make himself sound smarter by just becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> so... What do you think of, of that? I mean, I think there's a lot of scholars, there's a lot of scientists to talk about AI. Elon Musk is a guy who's neck deep in it. You know, he's building them. He's, he's releasing them. You see what we do. You know, SpaceX has rockets that fly back to Earth and land themselves. Uh, Tesla has cars that can drive themselves and park themselves and stuff. So that's real practical AI that's in the world now. How serious do you think you take this kind of warning from Elon Musk? Um, not that seriously. Uh, just because I'm, I don't see any 
any like real world application of this this idea, right? I also don't know what DeepMind is, but I'm, it sounds very scary. But <laughs> I just don't think, I don't know. I, I feel like we would be seeing more examples of it other than the Teslas running people over and causing traffic. But that's just faulty hardware. That's not necessarily, you know, the AI thinking for itself and choosing to kill all humans. That's that's a, a functionality issue, right? So I don't know. I, I, th- I don't think it would be this quick. I just think we would see more implementation of AI in our day-to-day lives for it to then turn into something dangerous the, the most i could see it being is like a an over-reliance on computers and ai instead and when then they malfunction then you have problems like the recent um airport the uh what was it the faa uh systems went down things right. like that you know things where we have large-scale operations being run by ai and then the ai's break and then we have a problem so musk was quoted <clears throat> in a separate quote Comparing AI to the dangers of the dictator of North Korea. Now, yes, it's Elon Musk, so there's a lot of... Take it with a big old grain of salt. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of self-promoting you know, angles that he goes through here. <laughs> but we've got artificial intelligence in machines that are capable of killing people. Not designed to, but capable. Right. We also have it designed into devices that are designed to kill people you know you've got predator drones that are ai driven you've got uh tomahawk cruise missiles that are ai driven you've got uh phalanx uh sea whiz uh close in war uh weapon systems on ships that are ai driven these are machines that are built already to kill and are powered by ai are those potentially dangerous or do you think we have enough control over those well, I mean, they're weapons, right? So they're inherently dangerous. It would be more about, again, I just think, are we shooting for the notion of them, like, rising up and, like, actively trying to kill people? Because I think it would be much more realistic for them to just be taken over by another human, right? To have somebody hack into them or to have them malfunction and and instead of targeting here, you're targeting somewhere else where you're not supposed to. I just don't think it would be the AI necessarily make, like, choosing to... Um, to you know kill a bunch of people i think instead it would be a malfunction so 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 to paraphrase <laughs> we're hoping that it's humans that are the problem right. not the ai that's exactly. the problem and we can count on that <laughs> yeah i you know to a certain extent that logic that logic makes sense because you can count on that human factor like it's very likely that you would have a foreign entity attack our infrastructure here mm-hmm. before I think you would have an AI go rogue and shut down the power grid. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you're not going to, like, you talked about the Predator missiles. Like, the Predator missile's not going to wake up one day and go, hey, I'm going to go blow up that town. It's going to, someone's going to have to tell it to go do that. It doesn't, we're not at the point where these things can, like, actively, you know, pursue missions or pursue goals on their own unless they're told to by somebody else, like an operator. So, all right, let's run with that for a second. So they're not going to rise up. You're not going to have a Skynet take over the world and, and nuke the entire world. But you have machines that are trusted to go do a job that may involve violence. Mm-hmm. If those machines can then be usurped by a nefarious third party and our trust in those machines allows them to continue to do their job and they get usurped, 
we have a new tar- target designation. Right, exactly. And that's, that's I think, where you get into the real-world danger of this. But, I mean, that's any, you know, our world in general has a heavy reliance on computers, right? And so I think that that is just, that just, that comes with the, you know, that comes with the, the risk, right, of the the ease of use and the scale of our operations. You need something like AI to run it because you just, it's not feasible for people to do it all the time. And I think that that just comes with the territory of, if this is how we're going to run things, then there's a chance that someone could take it over. It's no different than, well, it's it's different, but we're reducing a little bit. But if you had a gun and someone took your gun and killed you with it, it's the same thing. <laughs> so AI is the tool. Yeah. It's not the intent. For now, yeah. Okay. Until we get to the point where, you know, we have a fleet of drones that are, you know, flying around the globe just taking pot shots wherever they want, you know, that are programmed. Well, I guess they wouldn't be programmed at that point. But I'm saying, like, instead of a a fleet of jets flown by pilots, if it was a fully automated, you know, a bunch of drones where they could all communicate and make their own decisions, once they get into that level of autonomy, that's that's when you're running into more of an AI-based issue, I think. So Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, everyone's We're getting all the banner people out here today. (laughs) He said at one point in time, artificial intelligence is the future not only for Russia, but for all humankind. It comes with enormous opportunities, but also threats that are difficult to predict. Whoever becomes the leader in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. (laughs) That's a little extreme. (laughs) Um, First off, do you agree with that? I mean, I guess, because at that point, wouldn't you just have the strongest army, too, if if it's, he says it's got enormous opportunity, right? So then by that logic, you would, unless those, those unpredictable threats like make it worse for you i don't know like <laughs> i don't think it's any different than having the strongest art like standing army right and whoever has that you're by default the most powerful unless you control like the economy that's different but in terms of like military force if you have a bigger or more effective army yeah you're going to be more powerful right so do you think that in order to combat nations like assuming russia's gearing up towards right. artificial intelligence do you think the only way to combat nations like that is with your own artificial intelligence? I think so. I mean, that's how these things usually go, right? Like an AI arms race, which, hey, sci-fi authors out there, that's a free title. But, um, yeah, I just think it's going to – you're going to dig yourself into a hole, right? Because the more we go into this AI route, the more you're getting into these uh, threats that are difficult to predict, like he's talking about. So the the further we go with this technology, the more we're getting on that edge of accidentally making something – that could either get its own intelligence or something that is more likely to be, uh, like you said, usurped and used against the, you know, whatever country's making it. Okay. Now that's, we're talking AI in, in actual active weapons there, but there's potential danger elsewhere too. Uh, what about social manipulation? What do you think AI could do from a social manipulation standpoint? I mean, so far we've had social media, I don't, I don't want to say usurp because it's being used as it's designed. Right. But you've had situations where you've you've got Facebook and the whole Cambridge Analytics and you've got uh, Twitter trying to, you know, all the Twitter files coming out now telling us how uh, people try to manipulate elections and stuff. Where do you think AI falls in there? Is AI, you know, is that algorithm as you go through your social feed, is that AI manipulating you in such a way that it could be dangerous? Absolutely. And I think that this is where you get into the things that are much more 
real world dangers, right? Especially when it comes to things like social media, you run into that echo chamber issue where you're only hearing ideas and things that, that reinforce what you think. So you never hear anybody else's ideas, for better or worse. But generally, I think that's a bad thing. I think that you should be able to you know, see ideas from everybody and then interpret them how you want. But when you get into this with social media where you're seeing the same things over and over again, it just reinforces your own beliefs and makes you double down. And it makes everybody closed-minded and more isolated from each other and more extreme in their beliefs, too, in certain uh, situations. So I think when you're getting into things like that, and like you said, the Cambridge Analytica thing where it's straight-up manipulation of people, um, I think those when those have real-world consequences, which they did and still do, I think that's much more dangerous than worrying about a, a drone going rogue or something like that. Well, surely manipulating the mindset of common citizens isn't something that's unique to AI. I mean, you had the Nazi Germany had an entire propaganda ministry that was designed to do that. You've, you've had this type of thing that was driven by humans for hundreds of years now. What, does AI bring to the plate that makes it any more dangerous than just humans doing this type of activity? I think it's the scale and the pace of it, right? So AI is very good at learning. That's that's what it does. Like, it, or at least whatever I'm talking about the algorithm in right, social media. Right. It's good at learning what you do, what you look at, and I think it can do it at a pace and with an effectiveness that humans just can't do, or can't do as fast or on a, such a uh, a big of a scale. I mean, a human could look at you at what you do on Twitter, what you click on, what you like, but it would take them much longer to figure out, okay, well, what should I serve them next in their timeline that they'll click on versus an AI looking at it and figuring it out like that. Um, so I think that's, it just makes it more effective and, and efficient, honestly. That's a very good point. So the other one that, that they talk about is invasion of privacy and, and social grading. I don't know if we've, we've never really talked about social grading in the past here. That's, it's being done in some Asian countries already where depending on what your social, your reputation in social media is, is how you're treated in society. But I've seen this in, in sci-fi as well, where it's extremely um, emphasized in how people treat you. But from an invasion of privacy, you brought up a very good point of, well, everything's listening. And if I say something, I start getting advertisements. Is that a bad thing that you get targeted advertising? Uh, I think it depends on how you look at it. Um, I know people that feel like they're being manipulated. They'd rather it be not targeted and just give me what I want. Uh, well, that's from, what you that's what targeted advertising is, is they give you what they right. think you want. Without targeted advertising, you're just going to get a bunch of crap thrown at you there. <laughs> I mean, is that really a bad thing that you get targeted advertising? I think when you, like the people that have issues with it, I think they see it as of being manipulated, that even if it's something I want, well, advertising is manipulative. It's true, which is why it's That's so effective. the definition of advertising. <laughs> I know, I know. I just think it's like, I think people have an issue with it because it's it's, it's that invasion of privacy of even in my own home, I'm I'm being uh, sampled for data and, and it's being regurgitated back at me so I can become a better consumer. You know, like I, it eventually it just feels like it's all boiling down to you just pumping money <laughs> into, uh, into, you know, the uh, the economy. Okay, I'll buy that. It is effective though if you're a business owner. Absolutely. From a from a capitalist standpoint, it's great. <laughs> exactly. One of the other ones they talk about is misalignment between our goals and the machines. And and this one, I don't know how much of a problem this was. The the great example they give is 
you get into a self-driving cab and you say, get me to the airport as quickly as possible. Okay. But if the machine itself is, is doing what it thinks you've asked it to do, that could involve exceeding the speed limit. It could involve dangerous driving. It could involve driving into the river that's between you and the airport to try to get you there. I think this is kind of a silly yeah. example of, you know, I mean, this is no different than people following their GPSs off the road, mm -hmm. you know. Is this something we need to worry about where if, if we're putting our lives in the hands of these machines at some point in time, and, and you know, they've already, they're already talking about having uh, air taxis to the airport and stuff like that. So you're not, you're ramping up the level of complexity and the level of danger associated with the reliance on these machines. Is it possible that somebody misses a line of code that says stop at stop signs? It, like, is that a danger? I mean, not really, right? If these things are being put out on a global scale, surely they would test them, right, and see if that's an issue. You've had some issues with this with uh, self-driving cars where they have malfunctions, right? They'll, you know, I saw one the other day where a Tesla was in, like, a tunnel and just stopped, and I don't know why, and then, like, eight cars hit it. So things like that will happen, but I think if you're talking about, like, the foundation of the code getting out there, that's something's wrong with it, I don't really think you have to worry about that. I feel like... It would be extremely irresponsible of whatever company is making it to put it out there and not having it be fully vetted, especially when you're getting into, like, transportation and things like that. There was one example of a Tesla that was that was driving on a, on a highway at high speed, which they supposedly excel at. They're very good at that because that's how the sensors work best and, and the computer works best and everything. Going fast? In, on a highway oh, okay. situation where they're not doing stop-and-go traffic a lot. And what happened was there was a vehicle that was in the left lane that this thing was driving in, and it wasn't expecting a vehicle. It wasn't expecting a stationary target. And because they use LIDAR and they use radar, and they'll gauge the distance between themselves and the next machine. And the assumption is that machine is going to be moving so we can make calculations based on timing. And what happened was this vehicle was stopped in the left-hand lane. The device the the smart car saw that the, the machine was there but because it wasn't moving it assumed that it was a glitch in the sensor never tried to hit the brakes and literally accelerated right through the vehicle and it was it did everything it was supposed to do based on the rules that it had had and someone had missed the rule that said hey there's a chance that something could be stopped in your your lane you have to stop for it yep and that got out there after all this extensive testing. That still got out there in the production. So there's a chance that you can get code that that's that's broken out. There. That's true. Um, how do you deal with that? Who's liable at that point in time? I mean, it that probably the company is still right. I mean, it's it's still their self-driving car that rammed into it. I think it. I think the onus is still on them, even if it's something that they could never predict. Then don't make the technology. <laughs> if there's a chance that something like this could happen, then maybe it's just not meant to be or we just go through the trial and error of you know potentially people losing their lives until we figure it out and put out enough software updates if you want to look at it in like a morbid sense but i, I mean there's things that, that could be a high attrition rate that's there. what i'm saying like I, I just think maybe at a certain point if, if the body count gets high enough before you get version 4.0 maybe we just don't do it <laughs> maybe we just stick to driving ourselves around or we limit it to you know certain uh public transportation options instead of every consumer having their own self-driving car
And that's, that's certainly a consideration to solve some of these things. And the last danger I wanted to talk about was discrimination. You know, we had already kind of talked about this to a certain extent with... The social grading. The social grading. Uh, and with the malfunction of the Microsoft camera system for minorities, how do you think this would have an impact on society itself from a discrimination standpoint? Either facial recognition, AI. Um, we had one situation very recently uh, in our area here where uh, somebody was arrested and held for, I think, 48 hours based on a facial recognition that was completely wrong. So it's already happening. Is that a danger that we need to be aware of? Is there checks and balances that can be put in place? Should we not be relying on AI for this type of thing? I mean, yeah, no, we should not be. <laughs> if it's gonna, if this is gonna happen, yeah. I mean, sure, there's there's mix up with you know people getting held when they're not supposed to, and that's an that's an issue for another day of you know um, the justice system and things like that. But I think that. When it comes to things like this, where you're affecting people's lives, you should probably have a like a double check system or like a backup to be like, okay, well the robot figured it out, but let's just use our own eyes and see if this is the guy. <laughs> it, well, and I see something like this being used extensively in high traffic areas, airports, right? So you want to be safe going through the airport, but you want to be expeditious and moving people through. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things that we do, we rely on technology to to accomplish that. If you get a certain failure rate of that system itself, is that tolerable or is that should that be a hundred percent accurate? Um, that's a good question. I mean, if it was, if you're going to be the you know ninety nine percent effective and you get that one percent, there still needs to be a human element to so that person isn't held for three days because they they got the wrong person. Like there needs to be, you know. Uh, if if someone gets pulled up on facial recognition, someone needs to look at it and and you know or you know have that person come and, and I'm just saying there needs to still be a human element. We can't let it totally be run by by the machines. If they're not going to be 100 percent accurate. So you need a path of resolution. That yeah, is human involved. And I have my own story. You know, there was uh, about two three years ago, I got a ticket at the bail for a vehicle that I didn't even own, and it came back as a red light camera somewhere in North Jersey, which I knew I'd never even been to the town. It's like Amboy or something like that. So they send it with a picture and you look at the picture and there's a link to the video for it. And you look at the video and it had, what's there, five characters, six characters on a license plate. It had all the characters on a license plate that I hadn't had of the vehicle in 20 years. Mm. And it was it, that plate was originally registered to me, but there was a glitch either on the camera or on the plate. You couldn't read one of the digits in the middle. So the AI just assumed that it was my plate, generates a ticket, and sends the ticket out to me, and I get, an, I get an order to appear in court. That's AI-driven problems that you have that should have been looked at by a human being. Mm -hmm. But because of the number of tickets that they produce, you can't... The whole point of having an automated system is because you can't have a human looking at all these things. However, to your point, I was able to call them up, explain to them what it was. They were able to resolve the ticket on the phone and I didn't have to go for the court appearance. So that system at least had that path to resolution, whereas 
I, I think as long as we have that in place, we're safe. But do you want to be that guy that they make that mistake with? No. Uh, and that's just, that's, you know, that's the territory, right? It, if we're going to rely on these things, and it's like, you know, I it's something similar to getting on a plane or something where you're giving up a, a amount of control for convenience or for, uh, you know, convenience, honestly. If you're going to give up that, that uh, element of what you can control, then there's a risk that comes with that, no matter what it is. And I think that this is an example of that. That just sounds like a really poor way of explaining the way airplane crashes. <laughs> hey, man, you get on the plane, you got to expect it, all right? <laughs> we expect the, li- the, the li- least expected. I bring right? a parachute every time I travel. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I think we've kind of exhausted where we can go wrong with AI at this point from a danger standpoint. Let's take our last break, and we'll come back, and we're going to talk about the impact of AI on our world today and moving forward. We'll be right back. For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Sith Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Starforge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com. Welcome back to Insights into Tomorrow, and thank you to today's sponsor, the Second Sith Empire. Really paid for all that airtime, huh? They, uh, they are an awesome guild. I recommend <laughs> everyone look them up. Uh, anyway, moving right along. Hit it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's look at what the impact of AI on the world today. So some quick figures I dug up here uh, from simplylearn.com. So the revenue from artificial intelligence software market worldwide is expected to reach $126 billion by 2025. That's significant. Not huge, but significant. Uh, Gartner predicts 37% of organizations have implemented AI in some form. I thought it'd be higher. I would have too. The percentage of enterprises employing AI grew 270% over the last four years. Uh, and according to Servion Global Solutions, by 2025, 95% of customer interactions will be powered by AI. So we got two years to figure that out. That's right. Uh, and a recent 2020 report from Statista reveals the global AI software market is expected to grow approximately 54% year over year and is expected to reach a forecast size of $22.6 billion. Which doesn't really make sense because the other one's <laughs> sure does. Hey, man, data's weird. They all got yeah, different conclusions. You know, it's numbers, right? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, I think the conclusion here is that AI is very much embedded in our lives now. Are we better off for that or are we worse off for that? 
Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> we've we've looked at like every aspect of AI, and I think it's good in some aspects, right? We're taking the load off of humans if we can run things with an AI just to make our lives a little bit easier. Uh, I think that's a good thing because at a certain point when we're we're talking about things on a global scale, uh, it's just not practical to expect humans to be able to run all that 24-7. Uh, but then when you get into the more dangerous aspects of social manipulation, we're about to get into the discussion of uh, how it affects creative endeavors. I think that's when you start getting into the dangerous territory. And it's it's really going to be a question of where where does this go in the next five to ten years? Are we getting that that you know full-on AI integration in every day of our lives? Or is it still like it is now where it's it's more in the background? It's not necessarily as prominent. And I agree. I think we're very, very much on the cusp of something significant here. I think we're kind of nipping around the edges right now until we get deeper into it. Um, some of the special projects that I did want to talk about, one that's in the news now, is ChatGPT. Uh, their, their tagline is optimizing language models for dialogue. And this is a chatbot that, that is human-like interactions. You can ask it things, it'll answer them. Um, one of the things, this happens to actually be something that I had directed my developers at, at the office to dig into a little bit. One of the functions that I see with this is helping to automate and personalize communication for our sales force. Uh, so the concept that we had come up with a few years back and the technology wasn't there yet was our salespeople know their customers. So the salespeople can go in and drop in notes. You know, Tom likes the Phillies. Uh, his wife's name is this. His kids' names are this. And they're going to these college. They can put in these, this metadata about the person. And eventually, the idea was to have this technology that could take this metadata and write a monthly email to each one of your customers that's personalized, that might have specific information as far as offers that we might have. But it looks like it's coming from you. And we want to write these, hand them off to the salesperson, let the salesperson read it and okay it, and then send it out. And we're literally within months of being able to have the system start writing emails like that. Is that... In your opinion, is that a viable, good way of using AI, or are we stealing some of the human element there? Are we mudding the waters? I mean, it depends on how much you care about these handwritten or emails, you know, these these personalized emails. If you're okay sacrificing the the human element of it, then it's fine. It still has the human element, right? The the salespeople still have to know their customers. They still have to know exactly the the things that make it personal, and they still okay before it's sent off. I think that's fine. Um, yeah, I don't really have any issues with that. But if I have a if I have a salesperson who who doesn't compose emails very well, mm -hmm. is it ethical for them to use this system to compose their emails for them, or is it? Is it the same as having an assistant doing doing it for you, or is it different because it's AI? That's a good question. It's like cheating on homework, kind of. Right. Um, but, I mean, in the real world, you, you're not, like, I don't know. It's, cheating on homework in the real world isn't as big of a deal as it is in high school. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, you got to make these sales, right? So if you're not good at writing emails, first off, I don't know how far you would have gotten as a salesperson. <laughs> but second, um, it's like a tool, I think, in this instance. It's it's like another tool to use. If if emails aren't your thing, but when you're in one-on-one -on -one interactions, you can make the sale, good for you. You can use this as a tool. If you are relying on this to do your job for you, that's a little bit different, right? If you're if you're relying on it to, to make sales pitches for you and to reach out to customers and you're kind of just sitting back and maybe putting in a few inputs, then you're relying on it too much and it's, it's becoming an issue because you're, 
you're not doing the work. So it's just a matter of, of pacing how much you, you use the tool. Yeah, and implementation. So the next one I wanted to talk about was Canva. So Canva is a is a AI-based image generating software out there. And there's a number of them out there now. And you basically give it text input and say, give me a picture done up like Van Gogh of a horse in a rainbow. And it'll go out there and it'll source uh, thousands of different images and it'll come back and it'll, it'll generate what's considered an original image for you so you don't have to make it yourself. But that image itself is a compilation of all these other works. Is that something that is going too far or is that, are there any moral implications to that that we have to worry about? Yeah, this is actually the whole reason I wanted to do this episode was was things like this. I know we covered the you know the doom and gloom of AI taking over the world, but this is where I think it, it really is. It strikes a chord with me of you're. It's essentially making like art sausage, <laughs> but like if you didn't make any of the components of the sausage to begin with, you kind of just put it in the blender and called it your own. It's really it's like it's really devaluing art and the human element of it, and and when people feel that they can get this app and make art like with no effort it kind of defeats the purpose of it in general um there's also lensa which is similar to it um and i had an article linked here where there was cases where you could see artist signatures on the final product what lensa would create because it was just stealing artwork from other people and that's how a lot of these uh ai work is that you put in what you want and it scours the internet and will take from other artist pages usually without permission it just kind of steals it and then you know incorporates it back into itself and spits it out for you but you feel like you've made this and you really haven't um you didn't do any i mean you know you didn't you don't know how to do digital art or anything like that it just it's um it's like putting it on easy mode but also the bigger thing is stealing from the people that did make something and i it's really i really think it's an issue so let me ask you something, and, and we'll kind of go down the moral path here. If I don't have any artistic ability whatsoever, <clears throat> but I need to come up with a picture, and let's say I need a picture of a tree, and I don't know how to make a picture of a tree, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to look at other people's samples, and I'm going to find one that I really, really like, and then I go and I kind of try to recreate that as my image of a tree. Is that the same moral ambiguity as what a Canva is doing? Because Canva had the same problem. They wound up getting sued by Getty Images. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know like, that. They weren't even pulling the watermarks. Out. Oh, it man. So bad. <laughs> um, is me using someone else's inspiration to make my own different than these AIs going out there and grabbing these? Because they don't always take a one-to-one image. They may take portions of an image, mm-hmm. almost like sampling a track in music. And then they assemble it together from multiple different sources. What's the difference in the two of those? Well, I think, you know, in your example, I'm assuming you're, like, drawing it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. That's where I think the line is. In, with with uh, the AI-generated art, you're just typing in what you want, and it just appears. And it's, you know, it's compiled from other images. With the inspiration, you are taking inspiration from that thing that somebody else made and then making your own interpretation of it. Even if it's not very good, you still put in the time and the work to make it something original, even if it's inspired by something else. Like you said, with sampling music, 
you can take a, a sample from another song that somebody else made, but then you incorporate that section of it and you make a whole new thing out of it. It's it's um, it's it's its own thing, even if it's borrowing from something else. Um, and I think that's kind of where the line is drawn. That's a good point. The the other thing with Lensa is Lensa has uh, one of the big functions Lensa adds is what they're called their their magic correction. So you take a picture of someone, you run it through the Lensa filtering. You have the, the filters with Snapchat and stuff like that that can make the googly eyes and all that crazy stuff that you can do. Is the AI that's doing that different? Or, or do you take exception to that from a creative standpoint when it's taking your art and enhancing it because maybe you don't have the technical capabilities to do that? I mean, that's a good question. It's, it's similar to, um, you know, photoshopping an image, right, or using a filter on Instagram where it's not authentically the thing, but it's, you know, I don't know. As long as you still made it from the beginning, I think it's a little bit better than just straight up stealing the art. But I still think it, it's messing with the authenticity of it, right? And it, it gets into our perception of, of what is made by humans and what is made by AI and what does that mean for art if we can't tell the difference. And I think that that's sort of the road we're going down at this point. Um, when it gets into the enhancement, it's not, it's not as bad. It's still not great. <laughs> well, and I'll counter that and say if, if you can't tell the difference between whether it's man-made or machine-made, isn't that really the ultimate goal of AI at that point is to make it indistinguishable from human hands? Well, that's the scary part, right? Because if you can't tell the difference, but it still stole a bunch of other people's art, then it is actively devaluing all the art that it just stole from, even if you can't tell the difference. Even if you don't know that it took from, you know, 10 other artists to make this, it still happened, right? And it's still, it, even if it's indistinguishable, the, the, um, the consequences of it are still real. So the, the dilemma that you're referring to here is more the sourcing of yeah. where it gets its material from rather than the generation of that material. Right, because it's not, it's not magic, right? Like the AI is not making – it is. It's not like physically drawing it, I mean, but it's not necessarily entirely originally from the mind of the AI. It's taking from other people to make it, and that's kind of where the issue is. So it's just creative copying. Yeah, yeah. So, so, all right, let me ask you this. If you were an artist and you had a vast portfolio of your own artwork and you use that solely to power your AI and you decided that you're going to recreate your art in the AI style, is that legitimate? Yeah, as long as it's only taken from your stuff. Like, if if that's things that you made that are... I'm not, I'm not going to get into the legal aspect of it. I'm not a lawyer. But if, if you're only... If you can guarantee that it's only pulling from your art and you are totally signing off on it, then, yeah, that's fine. It's, it gets into it when it's um, taking other people's art without their consent or knowledge. So, all right, being a, a Star Wars fan and a Eagles fan, let me throw a couple examples of non-AI out there where both of those entities have taken what they've had, they've modified those and regurgitated back out to the public strictly for money purposes. There wasn't anything to enhance mm -hmm. The art, there wasn't anything to make it better or different or really anything. It was literally, I just want more money, so I'm going to re-release it. Do you have a moral issue with that, with people basically exploiting their own material for, for money there, trying to, I'm going to say con people out of buying it again because 
I'm one of those idiots who does I was going to say, yeah. Uh, not really, no. I mean, I mean, morally, yeah, it's not ideal, right? Like, you shouldn't be scamming people, but it, the, these things have value, and there's a reason that, you know, they're getting the money that they are. They wouldn't be re-releasing if they weren't making money. But it's not, like, like fundamentally <laughs> impacting how we view art, right? It's just someone making a quick buck because they're re-releasing their greatest hits for the thousandth time. It's not... It's not like, it would be like if the Eagles released a record that was music that was all samples and they didn't credit anybody. <laughs> like, that is what we're talking about here. But everybody loved it and acted like it was their original music. So are we really to the point where Canva and ChatGPT and Lenza are making us fundamentally reconsider art at this point? I think we're getting there. And, I, I mean, I think the Lenza specifically, at least in my sphere really took a lot of people by storm of like this is awesome look how cool i look i'm, I'm a cowboy i'm a robot but then it came out of how it really works and everyone was like oh so it's not magic <laughs> it's not like it's not a computer making like it's not a computer coming up with this art itself it's a computer interpreting other forms of art stealing and chopping it up and then mashing it into one new thing and that was kind of where the issue came in so i think it it is we're getting there we're getting there right and I have, um, like, a soapbox I wrote on here. But, but um, looking at things like the Indiana Jones 5 trailer where it's a wholly digital younger Harrison Ford, and you really can't tell the difference. Like, we're getting, we're now there where in movies these CGI creations are, are getting close enough where you can't really tell the difference. You know, we're past the days of Rogue One where it's zombie Tarkin and all that. That was terrible. But we're getting to the point where the, the CGI creations or de-aging in movies is becoming so realistic that it's becoming legitimately hard to tell the difference. And it's, you know, between that and the AI uh, art generation, it's like, where is there room for people at this point, for the human touch of it all? And that's that's what really, you know, interests me and, and kind of scares me. So for years now, before AI existed, before computer-generated graphics and movies and TV existed, people have been using makeup mm -hmm. to make you look older or make you look younger. That never caused us to question the purpose of the place of art in the world. Why would de-aging someone digitally cause that kind of conflict in the art world now? Um, well, because for makeup, like, you have to apply that, right? You have to, it's a physical thing you have to do with this. It's it, it's less about the de-aging and more about the, like, making someone young again so you can make more movies with them. Like, Harrison Ford is, like, 80 years old. He can't be Indiana Jones like he was in the 80s. But if we can de-age him and, like, make him look young again, even though he's an old man in real life, we can keep making these movies and keep pumping them out. That's where I think the issue is. When you're doing old-age makeup or trying to make someone look young with makeup, it's a little bit different because you still know underneath that makeup is still the person. Right. Whereas with this, it's not. <laughs> it's a robot. <laughs> so, OK, I will counter that with uh, Chris. Uh, uh, what's this? Chris Pine in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So they didn't use makeup. They didn't use digitally aging. They just changed the actor and they relaunched the entire franchise. So it's it happens. There's just there's different methods of this happening in doing what they did. Because they did the same thing with Luke Skywalker, yep. where they didn't even bring Luke, they didn't even bring Mark Hamill in to, to play the role, or even to do the voice. Because in the last, in Boba Fett, 
whatever book of Boba or yeah, the Mando two point five yeah. or you know in that episode where he comes in, his voice is even digitally redone by an AI voice manipulating. And now Darth Vader. James Earl Jones is Has, no longer the voice. It's right. all signed over to AI. So he signed it over. They can generate James Earl Jones' voice through AI. I'm struggling to understand where the issue is with that. I just, I think when it comes to, we'll use James Earl Jones as the example. When you get into like a vocal performance, when you get into the human element of it, there are things that that he might do when he does a read for the fifth take that he does something different and it's way better, right? And it's it was a fluke, but hey, he read it this way and that's the line we're going to use. When you get it with AI, I don't think they're going to be able to do like there's that that human element where you can get that random that random spark of of creativity or or performance that that elevates a role more than it would just be um if it was a human doing it. I think there's it's really that loss of the human element that I think is the dangerous part. Well, and I think the ultimate goal of AI is to not have the human element injected into it, but have its own unique element injected into it. So I think you still have the potential for that. It's not just... It didn't just have James Earl Jones record every word in the English dictionary and it just assembles them together like a really bad AI. They should do that. That'd be pretty funny. Um, it, it basically recorded his inflections and his ability to say certain syllables... You know, it was a much more sophisticated thing than just recording words. And then the AI assembles those sounds, but they, it doesn't do it the same way every time. But, like, isn't that weird? Like, James Earl Jones is still alive, right? And unfortunately, he's going to die one day. But they're still going to use that after he's dead to make Star Wars movies with Darth Vader. Isn't that weird? It's like a, it's like putting him in a, the, the ghost in the machine. You know what? They put Lenin, they embalmed Lenin's body and they stuck it on display in, in the public square for decades. Yeah, but they okay. didn't weekend at Bernie's him like a puppet in a movie after he was dead. Like, I don't know. I just, it's something about like, like when it comes to real life people being like turned into AI generated things, whether it be the, the Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones 5 or James Earl Jones and now with Darth Vader, when you're taking real people that are in real life and, and, and harnessing them using AI for for creative things, it just it doesn't sit right with me. It just seems strange. I think, I don't know. Well, they, and you know what? In to play devil's advocate here, James Earl Jones wasn't. It wasn't just James Earl Jones who was the voice of Darth Vader. There was so much audio work that went into that voice that it wasn't just him talking into a microphone. So there was already more to it than just James Earl Jones. If they can get that out of a computer and James Earl Jones doesn't have to show up and he already got his paycheck. I can't, but like, <laughs> sure, there are other elements, but his voice is still the core of it, right? So if he died in the world where we don't have AI, that'd be it. We so, wouldn't... so I will counter that argument with every other element, every other example of Star Wars that Darth Vader shows up in and it's voiced by someone beside James Earl Jones. It's not believable. I don't know, man. We got to figure something out then. Like, <laughs> at a certain point, you got to, like, the real world has to have some kind of impact. Like, we can't, like, I don't know. Carrie Fisher, was Carrie Fisher alive when they did that Rogue One thing? I think she was at the yes. time, right? Like, that's so weird. It's so weird that these are real people that are aging that we are just plucking, like, the best version of them and putting them in, like, CGI 
and now with with the voices is like internalized. I don't know. It freaks me out. Well, all right. So I'll give you a different different angle on that. So you have as an actor, especially a female actor, you have a finite lifespan that the industry will tolerate your aging to. Right. So if you get to a point, let's say you're 50. Okay. The number of roles that you run into when you're 50 are severely limited. If someone could extend their acting career and their opportunity to make money in the business by allowing digital manipulation of their features, don't you think that's at least a worthwhile endeavor for it? Yeah, I guess. But like, do we just want to completely give in and like ageism and not try to fix it? Like, do we just want to submit to like the industry wide like issue? I don't know. It just seems like we're compromising just to not have to like tackle the real problem head on. Well, and I agree that it's a problem that needs to be tackled. But in the meantime, you're robbing people of opportunities if you take that tool away. Yeah, but you're robbing them of opportunities by like being ages too. <laughs> so it's like I, I agree. But the problem is a role require a role may require somebody of a certain age to be convincing. Wouldn't you be taking away opportunities from potentially another actress that is right for the part if we're gonna instead use AI or robot Carrie Fisher instead, instead of recasting someone that might be good at it? It's possible, but if you were if you were doing a Star Wars film that was after Rogue One and you needed Princess Leah in there. Now now granted it's a little different because she's passed away. But if you needed someone that's age-appropriate who was that actor, wouldn't it be easier and more convincing to age-reduce that actor so they could do that role? No. (laughs) Why not? Because then you'd wind up getting, like, somebody who looks nothing like Han Solo showing up in a Han Solo movie, okay? That's true. That that movie had other problems. (laughs) I think that was – I don't know. We're not – this is not the Solo podcast. (laughs) But I think – I don't know. For me personally, I think it should be a recasting. I don't think it should be using AI – People cling, especially when it comes to Star Wars and properties like it, people cling to that past so hard. The past, would would a Kylo Ren say, kill it if you have to? (laughs) Like, I think, I don't know, we're getting, like, it's like the metatextual level of this, but I think, like, we can't just, like, keep digging up these people and putting them in the the computers and like Indiana Jones you can that's the point (laughs) that's the the beauty of it we can we never have to move on nobody has to die now (laughs) no one's ever really gone (laughs) I don't know man I guess we'll see when Indiana Jones 5 comes out and they just make a whole movie with CGI Harrison Ford and call it a day (laughs) okay so you hey, man, through... support your local artist all right before (laughs) the robots come for us all so that's really what you're getting at here you're you're the risk that you're seeing here is that it could severely negatively impact actual artists with what. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, the old auto factories, right? When once they figured out how to automate all that stuff, all those people got fired. If we can automate writing a script for a movie, the people that are in the movie, their voices, the effects, if we can automate all that stuff, we don't even need people anymore. And at a all certain right, point, so that's a <laughs> twisted idea of what history is <laughs> when they automated factories people instead of doing menial repetitive tasks were trained to do better tasks what killed auto factories were unions that kept trying to get more and more money it for people okay so let's just put history aside <laughs> for a second there and not distort it that much. it would still be the same outcome though with, with if we found a way to automate all this stuff 
where people couldn't tell the difference, we wouldn't need people to do it anymore. And no, I think, but instead of being a makeup artist, you become a digital effects artist. What if they don't want to do that? What if they like makeup? They shouldn't be forced to to change because of. So they go work in stage, okay? So they go work at Walmart. <laughs> They're not digitally enhancing anybody on the stage in a play, okay? Not yet. We have holograms. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> I'm just saying it's something to think about. There's a real. It's really important that we keep the human element in these things because that's where we get sparks of creativity that you couldn't get from a robot. There's things that they don't understand. There's there's ways to perform, ways to say things, ways to to, to, to create that AI will never know. Until we get to the self-aware AI, and then you got to worry well, about yeah. other things. Yeah, then they're coming here, and they're <laughs> going to get me first. <laughs> they're going to turn me into AI sausage. Uh, you picked over most of your soapbox here. Was there anything else that you wanted to sum up there? No, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know. Watch out. <laughs> Just be weary. Anything AI, I think you should be weary. Make sure you're, so, you're making sure where this stuff is coming from. Don't just look at it like it's like science magic. It's not. All these things have to come from somewhere, real tangible things. I agree. And and to be honest with you, the, the point of support your local artist, I, I absolutely agree with. Uh, that's why one of the things that I really enjoy when we go to these comic book shows and these pop culture shows is interacting with some of these artists, looking at what they're doing, watching what they're doing live, communicating with them, talking to them, what inspires them. Um, I find that to be one of the most rewarding things of going to these shows and actually seeing the brilliance that's out there in a lot of the young artists today. Absolutely. I don't really have any artistic talent, so I have a lot of like admiration for people. people you have a lot can, of like, pent-up frustration yeah, on that. Why AI? couldn't it be me? I want to use a robot. <laughs> no, but people that can just pick up a pen and just make something brilliant. Like it's, it's incredible, and I just think that we need to make sure that that sticks around. Also, when you're going to these shows, make sure that whoever you're buying from isn't using Lens to just make this art and sell it to you, because that is for sure going to happen, because people will try to swindle you. So just think about it. All right. I, I think that was all we had today, unless you were... No, that was it. You still worked up? You, you get all off your chest? Hey, man. <laughs> I think we fixed it. <laughs> okay. As with every show, we've solved all the problems. Well, you know what? We didn't end with doom and gloom. That's true. Though. We led with it, and then we worked our way back. There you go. A little reverse psychology uh -huh. there. Uh, all right, so that was it for uh, the show today. Before we do go, I do want to once again uh, ask that you uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, audio versions of this podcast can be found listed as Insights Into Tomorrow. Audio and video versions of all the network's podcasts can be found listed as Insights Into Things. We are available on Pandora, uh, Castro, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere you get a podcast. I would also ask you to write in, give us your feedback. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. We do stream on Twitch five days a week at twitch.tv slash insightsintothings. If you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, uh, you do get a free monthly Twitch Prime subscription. We'd appreciate it if you threw that our way. You can find us on Instagram at insightsintothings, or you can find links to all that and more on our website at www.insightsintothings.com. That's it. Another one in the book. Stay safe out there, everybody. Bye.